This morning we are going to study the book of Acts, and I've narrowed it down. Bold reasoning in public forums as the theme for today, and we're going to do reviews and previews so we learn what Luke is telling us. And I think we got good sound, so we'll begin with prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather to open up the scriptures, to seek you, to learn what you've said, and to encourage each other and make sure that we really know what you revealed, what your purpose is, and may we give you honor and glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today, I have some other slides besides what will be in your printout because we're going to look at places that where things occurred or sometimes layouts to show that they had public forums. And so someone, if you don't mind, read the text, Acts 19, 8 through 10. There's mics here and there. We want to check whatever translations you have. Make sure I've got an ESV, and I'm uh, going to use my readers here. All right. Yeah. So 19, 8 through 10. It says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Yes. And one of the things we've emphasized in Luke-Acts is that Luke is laying down in the book of Luke where this is heading. And then in the beginning of Acts, you have the Great Commission. And this is going from Jerusalem, Judea, uh, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. And hopefully we can see how that lays out. And one theme that I want to emphasize is the importance of study, the importance of a clarity of message, so that whatever we do will stand up to scrutiny in a public forum. And the thing that keeps cropping up throughout uh, religious history or church history is getting into a little corner where we only talk to a few people that already agree with us and not even allowing the scripture to correct us if that's what we need. So let's look at that and then we'll have some scriptures. I've learned how to make better use of the logo software. So let's start with verse 8 and then we'll do also some reviews. Verse 8, and this is the New American Standard. And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So this may seem rather simple, but we've got to unpack this a little bit. So in that context, we have first the synagogue. And what's unique about synagogues is that they were centered about study, scripture, Old Testament, the Torah. They already had the scripture. And there you could introduce the claims of Christ. And so what was he talking about? What's the reasoning? And what's this have to do with the kingdom of God? 
So those questions need to be answered for this to make sense. And to that end, we, the snowstorm meeting we went through because uh, we didn't have a, a, an actual meeting. So the people that came, we walked through the kingdom and all through the Luke Acts. And I, there was no uh, bell to stop me, so I just kept going. So we went and walked through it. But I'm hoping to get us up to speed on what that has to do with, with Luke Acts and the kingdom. So ahead of time, I asked Brian to have ready Acts 1, 1 through 8 to read it to us. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing uh, proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in many days from now. Yes. Not many days from now, sorry. So that sets the stage for the fulfillment in Acts of what was laid out in the book of Luke. And I spent a lot of this week rereading Luke 1, Luke 2, doing word searches. If you look at the account of the road to Emmaus and Jesus explaining all the way from the Old Testament, the scriptures concerning himself, if you think about Jesus going into the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke 4 and citing Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, only just part of it. What part did he leave out? The vengeance, the part they really wanted. So why did they reject Jesus? If you read this, wow, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Left out the vengeance part. Why did they reject him? Want to throw him off the cliff. That's what I believe goes on all the way through after the resurrection, road to Emmaus, Acts 1, Acts 2, and then on to Acts 28. The theme doesn't change. That Jerusalem rejects the prophets that are sent to her. However, there's still a future hope, the not yet part of it. And as I've said many times in debates publicly, there's no until for something that will never happen. So go through Luke Acts and look for until. You will not, I will not, well, the Last Supper has an until, is that correct? Well, the until is the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're looking forward to. Well, uh, now are you going to restore? Is that in one of those passages there? Go ahead and, and read it. So when they had, this is verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yes. 
and Rome was the key to the ends of the earth. So the very end of Acts, he's in Rome, and guess what topic comes up there? The kingdom. Go ahead. In in Luke uh, 8, uh, Jesus says to you, it has been granted to know. See, it was a mystery. So he was speaking in, in parables. And some would be, to, to those, it was granted to know the kingdom of God. But to the rest, he, he said in parables. So that seeing, uh, they may not see. And hearing, they may not understand. And the disciples asked privately. Now, this theme is so brilliant that it's, it really gives you a strong view of the inspiration of Scripture. Luke Acts, as the two-volume work, has intrigued me since I had a professor in seminary that laid that out and suggested that is how it should be read. There are themes that begin in Luke that go all the way to the end of Acts. And so if we take church history and use that to shoehorn Luke into what we wanted to say, or Luke Acts, we're not letting the Holy Spirit speak to us because the Holy Spirit inspired the biblical author and the Holy Spirit's meaning through the biblical author, in this case Luke, is God's meaning. And there's nothing more powerful than believing what God has said once for all through Christ and his apostles. And the better we understand God's meaning, the better we have knowledge of church history, what's the point, what's the Great Commission, how do we believe the promises of God, how will God sanctify us, what's our hope, all of that's in there. But once we start reading our ideas into it, then it's so confusing. It's very confusing. So that's why if we don't do anything else in Sunday school, we want to learn how to read Luke Acts as the one two-volume work and see what is revealed here. And I'm telling you, it's very powerful. It's life-changing. So he entered a synagogue. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Paul. When I think of the words, uh, hear the words reasoning, persuading, convincing, I think this is the Holy Spirit at work, isn't it? The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And when people hear the truth proclaimed without, we don't have to apologize for God. He's the final judge, okay? And so if we lay out who Christ is, what he did, the, the doctrine of the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the creating a world out of nothing, his promises, his reign at the right hand of God, Psalm 110, verse 1, isn't an afterthought, it's God's purpose. But there's, no, that's not the end. There's a future kingdom. The times and epochs, as said, are fixed by the Father's authority. God doesn't fix a time for something that will never happen. And I would say this, if we're able to thwart God's fixed time, then what's the point of our hope? That's my... Um, concern about a lot of theology in church history is that God can't get anything done without our permission. 
But he didn't have the leadership of Israel's permission to save Samaritans, did he? But he did it anyhow, did he not? So why would you take the gospel to Samaria? They're really deceived there. Yes, go ahead. Yes, but what about the reference where we can hasten the coming of the Lord? I know it's probably, it it might be the same syndrome, not syndrome, but example where if God, he knows what he's going to do. He already has his plan, Mm -hmm. but then he wants us to cooperate in that plan. So he lets us go through certain things to make that happen. Is that what it is? Hasten, what, what passage are you thinking of? Acts three nineteen. Oh, that's the one with the season of refreshing. Yes, there's no conflict between human responsibility and God's sovereignty, and we know that because of the fact that God has revealed these things to babes. He's revealed this to unexpected people. God will use His means through sinners like converting Saul of Tarsus to accomplish his ends. We don't know when that is. So we're looking forward to it. So the question I'm going to leave us with today, so I'll give it to you now so I don't forget. What is the Great Commission? And we want to start with what we're looking at here, Luke Acts. Some people, and this is very Uh, prominent, especially in American history, is to only focus on the Matthew account and then take it to mean the Christian church dominating all the other cultures. I'm doing research to address that, hopefully with some podcasts through CIC that maybe whenever things go good, it comes back, this post-millennialism. In other words, I'm not saying Laverne, that you're suggesting that, but it's the prevailing worldview of Christianity through the centuries. Is that culturally, Christianity will dominate the cultures, and the American version of it is the millennium will come here first, people will see how great we have it, and want what we have. That is the Christian Reconstruction version of the Great Commission in Matthew. Yes, uh, Adam. In the meantime, let's start with Luke Acts and then see if there's any contradiction to what's in Matthew. Go ahead. Building, echoing what you said, Bob, uh, when you start uh, in Acts, he already refers to uh, the uh, the times, the seasons that God has appointed according to his will, the the actual date of the kingdom isn't going to change. I mean, the, the actual end of history uh, and where things are going. But there are also themes in scripture, like in Colossians, about filling up the suffering uh, of Good Christ. Point. God will only allow so much suffering of his people. He'll only allow so much sin from the wicked. Uh, and so in his providence, as he works th- these things out uh, through saints and sinners, uh, he's only going to allow so much suffering uh, and, and yes, so much sin point. before he brings judgment and salvation. And so th- there's kind of an irony there where these things are fixed, they're appointed, they're set, uh, they will not change. Uh, but at, th- at the same time, uh, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yes, and we are motivated. It didn't demotivate the 
apostles in Acts to go out and preach. Yes, because we know God is going yeah. to save sinners. Right. And he, and it, he has, a, he has uh, elect there more than the sands of the seashore and the stars in, in heaven. He has a name for each and every one of them. He knows who they are. But the gospel needs to go out. And, right. And if we just... Amen. If Christians just sat around and the apostles just sat around and didn't preach the gospel, the kingdom's not going to come. So, <laughs> so we preach. But he assures that doesn't happen. Um, I agree. You know what really it encouraged me is when I realized that both things are true. It motivates me more to preach knowing that God has his elect in places you wouldn't expect them to be. Why would we have somebody like Mike Gendron if the Great Commission, we spoke here and he has a ministry evangelizing Roman Catholics and uh, what a wonderful ministry if we thought Christianized society is the Great Commission and Roman Catholic is sort of a Christianized society well then we've done our task but evangelical versions of that don't really happen either that's why the purpose-driven thing flopped because when things seem to be going good, then we get post-millennial. Three-legged stool, business, government, church, we're going to solve the world's problems. Have you heard that one lately? Not much because it's all blowing up. If God has spoken in Scripture and given us what he's going to do, what our responsibility is, what the gospel is, and how God is going to bring to pass his purposes, we don't need a new program to Christianize a pagan society. Yes. I was just going to mention Acts thirteen forty-eight. 48. Uh, when the Gentiles heard this, um, that Jesus was going to be a light to the Gentiles, uh, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So, as you said, that it does motivate us to share the gospel because those who are appointed for eternal life will believe. That's exactly right. And that's what really revolutionized things for me was to understand that the Holy Spirit powerfully will convict people. If we don't tell people they're lost sinners facing the wrath of God, but your best, you can have a better life. We have better principles to live by. Let me give you an example that became salient recently. I thank God I've been healthier than I was, so I have less time to sit in doctor's offices reading. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good thing. But recently, now I'm preparing to teach in 1 Corinthians. In fact, for next week, be ready for 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1 through 4, because there's where things go awry. So I found two books that I owned back in my old library. There were This came to America in 1968. It's Watchman Nee, the spiritual man, who references 1 Corinthians 2 and 3 in a very wrong way. And then another one, Francis Schaeffer, the spiritual man, true spirituality. Do you see those? I was going to try to make a slide, but that was too much work. 
these are opposite. So here I am, a new Christian, 1971. Here's this one, and here's this one. They teach the dead opposite. And Schaefer was in Switzerland, 71. His claim, now I don't agree with his eschatology, but his claim was that God's answers fit the world that God created. There's a real fall in time and space. The sin nature is certainly obvious to anybody that looks at history. We see all the evil, but we also see that people are created in the image of God. And Schaefer emphasized the whole person. God has a salvation for the whole person. Whereas knee from the East emphasized the body is a problem. The intellect is a problem, but there's a spiritual ideal that we can gain if we learn how to have our spirit speak to our soul. So how is it that young students, now if you were young like me in 1971, were dated? But here were these students looking for answers at the time of the Vietnam War, and they either go to the East or to the West. One emphasized the mystical, the other emphasized the rational. So when I wrote a book refuting, hopefully by God's grace, Emergent, which is based on East, I cited Schaefer. But the kicker, and Schaefer had a huge impact when I had to go back and think rationally after I tried to do the East, the culture wars imply post-millennialism. And so that when we have a setback, like it's going on right now, different kind of books come out. Let me pose a question. If we have the Great Commission and it's not going to change, until Christ is on the scene of history, we can only go by what the inspired scripture tells us. So if we have what we need until his return, and I claim we do, and actually Schaefer did too, concerning scripture, objective reality, then why would the books that sell change depending on the price of gas? Are you following me? Not yet. Not yet? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be more clear. Um, in the 70s, I became a Christian in 71, there was much talk about apocalyptic end of the world right now because of the Vietnam War, disillusionment, uh, the price of gas when we were first married tripled in about two or three years. You might think, well, 25 cents to 75, what's that? Well, when you're making $2 an hour, 75 cents is a lot. Now it's similar things are happening. There's wars and what have you. Then in the early 80s, I read a book by Dave Hunt called Peace, Prosperity, and the Coming Holocaust. Because in the 80s, things got better. Not great, but better. And so now, not that Hunt changed his position. He was always a dispensationalist. Just because there's peace in the world in the 80s doesn't mean God changed his agenda for church history. He has, he has a promises to ethnic national Israel. His promises to us 
and his calling for the church does not change based on the vagaries of history. So what I hope is that we can gain a biblical perspective of the role of the church now and take the truth into the arena of public debate. That's the whole point here. Hoping to emphasize, there's the synagogue. There's something like the school of Tyrannus or whatever the... So in the ancient world at that time, he went into the synagogues, he went into the arena of public debate. He ends up in such an arena in Rome. And if our teaching changes based on the Wall Street Journal, somebody's going to take that and beat us with it and say, why listen to you Christians? You're no more stable than the world. Do we have a message that won't change based on tomorrow's headlines? It's always pertinent. Go ahead. Now, when he said hasten, he, he was speaking to the Jews, right? In uh, talking about like their children coming to faith and uh, the Gentiles. Well, Jesus had said that the Father has fixed uh, the, the times and appointed the times. Uh, and it's not for them to know. Peter does not know uh, the times. But he is telling uh, the Jewish people, he does know the Jewish people are going to come to faith and believe. And so he's exhorting them, come to faith and believe and hasten the coming of the kingdom. Because I know the kingdom's not going to come until you believe. And, but he does not know the times. God has set and fixed and appointed those. And so that's a preacher appealing to his people saying, believe the gospel, repent, uh, and, and uh, hasten and welcome. I mean, the, the time of refreshing. Yeah, uh, and it'll come later. Then with uh, Corinthians, here's another illustration. Uh, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city who are my people. That's the motivation to stay here and keep preaching. We don't know who they are, but if we preach, I have many people uh, in this city who are my people. And what did Paul do? And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. (laughs) Amen. Uh, So that is Acts eighteen, verses nine and or nine through eleven. Thank you. Here's. What I've noticed lately, getting calls from people I haven't seen, and in some cases people's really got problems, I give everyone the same section, which is Romans eight twenty six to the end of the chapter. Read that and think about it. Hardly anyone is comforted by it. And then I'm thinking, why would Romans eight twenty six to the entire end of the chapter not comfort somebody who's a Christian. I, I can't tell you, I don't want to, I want people to feel safe to ask me questions, but if that doesn't comfort you, then something's wrong with your theology. Okay? There's no imperative in the whole of chapter 8 of Romans. And the Bible tells us that Jesus intercedes for us, that we have access to the throne of grace. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. 
The Son intercedes for us. So the Trinitarian God of the Bible intercedes for believers and gives us access to his throne to bring our specific needs to him. And when I say that to people, glaze. Now, why would that glaze over when it was the grandest promise in the New Testament is given? And I think the reason for the lack of comfort is that we have often, and I know I did, believed a theology that's focused only on this life. Okay? And all of us, I mean, it's just the world bombards us with its thinking. If we are knowing that God is going to keep us and bring us all the way to the glory through, that's a promise from God. That doesn't create passivity. It creates excitement to preach the gospel. And it doesn't create irresponsibility. It's not going to change that uh, as Christian parents, you want our children to hear the truth and to grow. And we're always concerned about their well-being. Do you know that God will indeed bring you to where he said he would? That's not a cop-out. It's just biblical truth. Ron back there and then, oh, go ahead, get the mic to Ron and then Dan's closer and then we'll have Dan and Ron. No, you can have this one that Eric has and pass it around. The fullness of, yeah, fulfilling up the suffering doesn't mean we join a monastery and have somebody beat us. Yes. I understand what you're saying, and I I really respect everything you say, too. It's just um, sometimes the passive versus active. I always think back to, like, the the time of the the Revolutionary War and the the people that that fought against maybe an unjust or a a corrupt government system um, that, that basically they did what they did in order to, you know, for their family's sakes and things like that. And I know that wasn't the gospel. They weren't fighting for the gospel there, but they were fighting for mm-hmm. for their rights. And sometimes um, I, have a, I have struggles with, with what, what to passively, and I don't like that word passive, but um, things that we really have a hard time changing, which would be, you know, some of these things, especially that we've seen in the last couple of years, um, we, we, but but I don't think it's I don't think it's responsible for us to just sit back and let that happen. Uh, without as, as believers, we again the primary thing to do is to, to proclaim the gospel. But I don't think we need to sit back and let corrupt governments that are outside of their boundaries of what God has designed them to be uh, to let them run roughshod over us and uh you know because i i think of these people like in sri lanka that are um starving uh because of corrupt governments decisions and things like that what 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 do those people do um you know and i know the the primary role of you you and uh eric is to proclaim the gospel god draws out the boundaries of the nations doesn't it say that in Acts 17 right in the process, a lot of evil happens. And that doesn't make God 
the author of evil, mm-hmm. but it does show God's providence. Now, let me answer, and I'll answer for Eric, but I'll answer how it comforts me. I know from going back to Babel in Genesis in the table of nations and how I view a literal tribulation period, Daniel's 70th week, whenever national boundaries are being fought for, it shows me history goes on longer than we might have thought. Because at this point in history, as we're, we're here on the first day of spring 2022, I saw a robin. I'm not lying. I saw a robin yesterday. Now, what I see, people look at it differently, but there's a war going on. People are fighting for their national identity and their boundaries. That's not what it's like under Antichrist. They give their authority to the beast. Now, my claim is consistently, since I came to teach the Divine Council worldview, the the way the one world government happens is there's supernatural powers that will be unleashed that are not now at work. Okay? So the process of these boundaries, which change off and on, is under God's providence. Providence includes all things. Now, I have a slide or a whole slideshow I could do on that. So what do Christians do? Where I differ with, well, I differ with me because it's from the East and it's not based on the real world. It's more finding out what your spirit's doing. Schaefer would be more engaged in the culture wars. I agree with Schaefer. I heard him speak, and he was talking about abortion, and I heard him speak across from the clinic. That's right. We should stand against evil, and we do. However, in the process of doing that, we're not... If we neglect the forgiveness of sins and the eternal, what hope do we have to the person who's already failed? It's already suffered. It's already going through all of this. And I w- I- I'm planning to do this. The Great Commission doesn't say Christianize the world. It says evangelize the world. So not getting on board with the uh, Reconstructionist, Dominionist, and I'm not accusing anybody of believing that, doesn't mean we're doing nothing. And why does it say that we should pray for the leaders of the country? I admit, I'm not good at this. I pray when I like the leader. And it's harder to do now, honestly, because we have wickedness being promoted. The way, what comforts me is this. We still have national boundaries. Therefore, we have more time to continue to preach the gospel. Uh, we'll see what happens. But Paul's journey, when we get to the end of Acts, and he goes to goes from, uh, where was he when, he when they launched? Luke is with him and part of it. They have a shipwreck. They end up in Rome. He appeals to Rome. He didn't go to Rome to rebuke the Roman government for not having a good government. Now, we have the privilege of doing that 
in America, because we have the right that was given of free speech, we use what they give us. Both things can happen. Have you noticed recently that Franklin Graham is explaining the facts about Christ? Have it, has anybody seen that besides me? I've seen him spend commercial time saying who Jesus is, shed blood. Now, it's a little different than I would say it. I would say flee from the wrath to come, but I can't afford to buy the time. But he tells who Christ is, what he did, forgiveness of sins, and he is raising money to help people everywhere, Ukraine, anywhere you want to say. You can't, we can do both things because we, that's what we do. Go ahead, Ron. Getting, getting back to what you, uh, you asked the question, why can't people believe the end of Romans 8 there? Well, doesn't it always go back to everyone, all of us, are looking for a way to be worthy of it? Uh, am I doing enough in this world? Am I making the world a better place? Am I making life better for my neighbor? You know, or why am I suffering? Why, are, why is the world in such turmoil? Uh, that's the reason, I guess, that we can't accept victory in Christ because we're focused on ourselves and focused on troubles in the world. I'm not, I can, how can I be worthy of this victory? It, because he says you are. That's all. We're not worthy. We're sinners needing redemption. Um, any Christians, I would say this, the more we take seriously the Christian life, education, how we raise our children, how we live, it's not minimalized. I love Schaefer. He had a better answer than me. But if our sins are not forgiven and the eternal goes out the window because we're still facing the wrath of God, let me give you an example that I think would be salient. Do you know that Mormonism is a cult? <laughs> that they have a false Christ, a false God, false everything? But many people would say Mormonism in the areas where they live are decent people that are conservative. So the sin nature isn't saying everyone is just as bad as they could possibly be. Would you trade, let me just ask a hypothetical, some have done this, would you trade eternal life, resurrection, forgiveness of sins to be a Mormon and have everything nice all around you? No. We wouldn't do that. Um, we got a lot of questions. We, uh, everybody feel free. I don't, all I know is what scripture says and its implications. How do we apply it? How do we live it? Yes. Briefly on the last topic, uh, Jesus, uh, he, he was asked, I mean, you, there were outrages with uh, the Roman uh, rule uh, over Judea. And uh, when Pilate mixed the blood with the sacrifices and slaughtered Jews, Jesus' response is, uh, were, were these worse sinners because this happened to them? No, but I tell you, if you don't repent, you will perish likewise. Uh, he went to the gospel. He warned his disciples, uh, the one who uh, lives by the sword shall die by the sword. Just know if you take up arms, you, you may die by those uh, very, very arms you take up. 
Now, that's not necessarily banning Christians for being in the military or anything like that, but you better have your priorities right uh, as far as why the Lord has placed you here and to, to proclaim and share the gospel. And when he stood before Pilate, he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting uh, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so you really see a singularity among the disciples and the apostles. They're single-minded in proclaiming the gospel uh, to all peoples, uh, to all nations. Uh, They are not political activists. Uh, They're not focused on political activism. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't vote. Uh, You you have the freedom to to vote and uh, do all of that, but that's not why you're here. God has not left you here in the world uh, to vote. Uh, There are people who are being saved, and his kingdom is coming from heaven, and he's going to save those people. Uh, That's why he has uniquely placed Christians here, and it's the one thing that the world uh, cannot offer uh, to to sinners. Uh, And we have friends uh, who are... Uh, in Ukraine, uh, the woman is Ukrainian, and actually they, they've left, uh, they were living in Odessa, and they finally got to Moldova, and they were uh, watching over uh, basically orphans, uh, young people that didn't have families, uh, dozens of them, uh, to uh, care for them and to proclaim the gospel. Uh, that's why they were there. And so in the midst of this war zone, uh, their focus is on uh, sharing the gospel. Uh, with Amen. with those people. Christians so, will always be that way. When you have the Holy Spirit, you're not blind to lies, suffering, evil st- things going on. And um, it's always been that way. Yeah, I mean, when Paul would uh, be taken uh, before the authorities for the, proclaiming the gospel, and just gave them more opportunity to testify. Look, I was just preaching the resurrection of Christ. <laughs> the resurrection is all through. Um, we should at least get to, let me get through this slide. <laughs> I appreciate everybody's, again, coming to Christ in 71, I've lived through several eras of history and see these things come and go. I'm not advocating turning a blind eye to the suffering in our families, in our neighborhood, and so on. But I am advocating gospel preaching. Now, Schaefer used to warn that nature eats up grace. Do you know what he's, why he said that? Because if you focus on what you can do naturally without a biblical worldview, creation in God's image, fall, real sin, real promises of redeeming the whole person, including the resurrection, then, and he would, people would come through Labrie in Switzerland, young people from the 50s and 60s with their concerns, and we gravitate toward the East because of the romantic idealism. There's a reason people prefer the East. It's very, very seductive when you think we can have a perfect world by meditation. And we can. We need Christ. Yes, go ahead, Laverne. Um, just a comment on what you said earlier, what we were talking about. 
This is the day of man that we're living in now. And yet we know that no one comes into office in terms of our leaders. God is sovereign, and he allows people to be appointed. And so um, even if we don't like who's in charge, we know that they're there for a purpose, for God to accomplish his purposes. And so there's this incongruency with we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And yet when we see these things, then we want to go out and fight against it. But these things, Jesus said these things must be. The signs of the times, he told us that to watch for these things, but when it happens, to look up. And so, and then in the Old Testament, it talks about what are we to do as Christians? We are to get on our knees and pray. If you call out to the Lord, he will hear us from heaven and heal our land. The only problem with that is we don't have a land. I'm saying we should, but right now we don't have a land. Am I wrong about that? I've heard that before. That was just uh, we did a podcast about that. I believe that national national boundaries are what restrains evil. Okay. There's no covenant. America does not have a covenant with God. Israel is right now a secular nation, but it's still in prophecy. The land, let's put it this way, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which we do and are told to do, what are we praying for? The return of Christ. What's the essence of the Lord's Prayer? For Christ to return. If you look at the overall picture of Luke X, the Lord's Prayer is not asking to give us dominion. It's asking for us to not give in to temptation. Look, let's, let's go back into, into Luke. Think about the temptation to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. What, what does that entail in the bigger scheme of Luke-Acts? Let's put it another way. What will Antichrist do to get people to believe him? Miracles. Miracles. Kingdom now is the temptation from Satan to not fulfill the Great Commission and pray for the return of Christ, but to do something that would bring it to pass now. But if you read Luke Acts carefully, in the lament over Jerusalem, it says, but these things are hidden. It's a divine passive. Why were the things that had to do with salvation hidden? So that the Great Commission would go forth, as we read in Acts 1, 1 through, or Acts 1, 1 through 8. If the kingdom came and were satisfied, and there's no, the day of vengeance, what what did they leave? What did Jesus leave off in? in yeah, the day of vengeance. The day of vengeance is in Acts or Excuse me, Isaiah sixty-one two, just like the passage you read, but he didn't read that. What did they want? The day of vengeance. What happens in John six? Go to another book. <laughs> Moses gave us bread, so he multiplies the bread. The water. He walks on water. He does mighty miracles, and they wanted to take him by force to make him king. Uh, here's a challenge for all of us. I, I did this the other day. Read all of John chapter 6 in one setting. 
And when you get to the very end of it, who's left? Now, what was the problem that kept them from believing their own sinfulness? Imagine in a world where the main commodity to keep you alive is bread, as it was in the ancient world. That's why there's a war right now. The breadbasket, Ukraine. Most of us have never lived where bread was what was going to keep us alive, but it's been a lot of history. What did they say to Jesus in John 6? Moses gave us bread. What are you going to give us? Now, why were they thinking of Moses when Jesus multiplied the bread? They're thinking of the wilderness wanderers. But what they forgot was they didn't like the bread when Moses gave it. Where's the quail? All right. And so in the end, they said, well, they're not following you anymore, the disciples. And Peter said, where shall we go? You got the words of life. But look at all that. Now, does that mean we don't fight against Eastern thinking? I, I fight that continually because it comes right in to the churches. Uh, does it mean we stand for freedom of speech? Yes, because that's how we have the opportunity to preach the gospel. And uh, why did Paul go to Rome on the boat? To bring the gospel to the ends of the world. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the return of Christ. Don't assume that if we focus on the forgiveness of sins and the gospel, everything else is going to go really bad and it's our fault. I do not believe that for one moment. I think a lot of times we forget about God's providence. And you might feel bad for this country because all these people are starving there. And that you, you have free will to send them money and do what you can personally. But we don't know God's providence. And he puts these leaders there. The, the, the leaders of these nations are placed by God. So you say it's hard to pray for this leader or that leader. And that's... I would say uh, uh, equivalent to, you know, you're you're kind of lambasting God in a way because, like, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. Look who he put in charge of this nation or that nation. And then that in conjunction with the Great Commission is uh, Eric in, in Matthew last week. He was talking about you have the universal call and the effectual call. Well, I believe we and, and the disciples as well, but we as... As Christians, we're only responsible for the universal call. God takes care of the effectual call. So, and absolutely, here's what helps me. The longer there's national boundaries, that means I'm not under Antichrist. Amen. Okay? And that means we still have opportunity to preach. Once the supernatural's unleashed, on the world. If those days were not shortened, no life would. I wrote this trying to think about how to teach. The church, this is what I wrote. The church is not a human institution. Why? Because human institutions change. 
the true body of Christ built on the foundation Christ and his apostles cannot be taken over and still be the church. Uh, that was my thought on this. If we take our time, our fundraising, our efforts, and put it all into the idea of we're going to build a big institution and guarantee that it'll go on into perpetuity, that institution will change. And the money of the people that built the institutions within 100 years or less is supporting abortion, Eastern religion, unbelief, higher critical analysis, everything we don't believe in. You don't think that's possible? It's already happened. Even in the 10 years before when I went to seminary and heard great teachers, I met Eric. There we were. I'd never seen him before, although he'd called me one time, I think. Going in to ask the provost why this guy who believed emergent, no, an atheist, was teaching theology. That's 10 years. And in God's providence, I brought along my notebook from when I was studying 10 years earlier. Remember this, Harry? And so they're teaching logic, philosophy, Eastern religion. I said, well, when I was here, we were studying the meaning of the Lord's Supper, prayer, baptism, the inspiration of Scripture. I had, I just pulling through my notes. Don't you think the students here now need to learn these things? And then I said to, uh, I, I believe, did I bring up what had happened at that memorial service? Yeah. Just previous to that, my favorite teacher, and I try to model how I teach after him, is was Dr. Versaput who said, read the text. He said, I'm going to have a whole new approach that you probably haven't had. We're going to read the Bible. <laughs> and we started reading. And then the grade was based on how you, well you read and understood the author's intent. And if you said, well, I think it means based on something that's not in the text, it wouldn't help you. And he died of pancreatic cancer, and at the memorial service, Dr. and I was at that, Dr. Eliason gave a magnificent talk about what happens, because everybody was praying for this professor. We loved him. He still died. And he laid out the doctrines that we needed to process how is it that we prayed for our favorite professor, and he still passed away, he understood that, laid it out there and so I've commended him for that did you hear me do that? Yeah. I'm trying to remember and, I, and then at the end we said don't you think the students here need to be equipped so that when that kind of thing happens they can do it? and that's when he looked over to Eric and said how much of your money do you want back? and we took that as it, that's why Eric has really influenced both of us well, I don't want Money back isn't going to help if you won't help people be trained for the ministry. And 
you can't answer the question, why was it that we prayed fervently for Dr. Versaput, but he still passed away? And he could answer that, but the answer for a lot of the students is just leave Christianity and go to Eastern religion. So we got to fight that, but we fight it with the truth of the gospel. Any human institution changes. It used to take 60, 80 years. Now it takes 10. Is that right? 10 years. 10 years. It's totally different. Why? Because of information going around the world. If we're going to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and the result of that equipping is that we learn what the author said, that will never change. It's been fixed forever by the Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures. And the Bible says God cannot lie. And the Lord says, I, the Lord, change not. Now that's in the context of the why judgment is restrained. He's still merciful. Why does history go on? God is merciful. And so the point, and we only got through this slide, um, speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning, in the, this is in the synagogue, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. What was he doing? Teaching them how God had fulfilled scripture but it was first advent scripture, not the kingdom coming now. So that is, there's the synagogue where they'd have the scrolls and they would talk. There's the public forum. I'll leave you with this. Never go into the arena of public debate with a weak argument. Because when you get there, somebody smarter than me and you will be well prepared to beat on you with your weak argument. But if you're well prepared and you have a very strong argument and you know the evidence and you're focused on something that can't be refuted, it will just glorify God, not because of what we do, because our strong argument is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the fact that history is heading toward judgment, what God did, what God said, how it's going to what we do in the meantime is a strong argument. And they won't refute it. They just can divert to something else. They cannot refute that. So be equipped to go into any arena, whether it's Mars Hill, the stadium, the, the Agora, the marketplace. Anywhere you go, bring along a very strong biblical argument. The good thing is we left with a strong argument and I met Eric and we're still working together. It was worth saying that, but now they're not equipping. They're just going into mysticism. Uh, next, next week, Eric will be teaching. I'll be preaching. Study 1 Corinthians 3.1. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness and kindness. Help us be equipped for the work of the ministry. Help us be wise. Help us pray and understand your ways. Help us be salt and light wherever we are. And Lord, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We do pray for civil leaders. We pray for Christians who are under the threat of death in a horrible situation in Ukraine. 
in the surrounding countries, many people, no people that are there, no people that have died. Help us, Lord, in these times to be bold and strong and filled with confidence. And Lord, we pray for Eric as he preaches the word to us that we'd hear and look into these things to see if they're true. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. So great to be together. God bless you.